This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll Today is Tanita Esther, the fast of Esther, before the great holiday of Purim, which in most of the world starts tonight, but here in the holy city of Jerusalem, starts on Tuesday night. So Bezat Hashem, I'll have success in telling the story, and recording the story, and getting it up in time for this week's podcast. So here's one more story for Purim. Mendel was a successful businessman, and he had business dealings in Romania and Russia, and eventually he moved to Kishinev. And because of his success and because he was a kind person, he had many friends, Jews and non-Jews, and many business partners. And I'm sure you know how it works, my sweetest friends, back in the old days. A non-Jew could simply accuse a Jew of a crime, and most likely the Jew would lose the court case. Because Jews didn't have rights. Now we do, but back then we didn't. And there was one business partner who decided that he didn't like Mendel, for whatever reason. And he went to the Romanian government, and he told them, You know Mendel, the Jew, the wealthy one who's so successful in business? Well, let me tell you how he became so successful. He once found a box of gold coins when he was in Romania that had the seal of the government on the box. And he looked left, and he looked right, and he saw that nobody was looking. And he stole the money. And that's why he left Romania to move to Russia. And the Romanian government, when they heard about this, they didn't even bother looking into the facts, seeing if anything here was true or not. They said, ah, Jews stole our money. It's good enough for us. And so they said, we want to put Mendel on trial. Realizing that Mendel had left Romania, they had to contact the Tsar in Russia and ask him to extradite Mendel to Romania so he could stand trial. But the Russian government didn't like this. They had their pride. They didn't really care about Mendel. But they cared about Russia. And they said, listen, this Mendel is now a Russian. And we're not going to send him to Romania. If you want to have a trial, you're going to have to come here to Kishinev and conduct it on Russian soil. So the Romanian government agreed. And the court date was set. And Mendel was served with a court summons to appear for his trial for stealing money from the Romanian government. Mendel looks at the letter and he says, steal money from the Romanian government? I never stole money from anyone or anything. He looks at his wife and he says, what is this? She says, my husband, you know exactly who to go to. Go to the Rebbe, the Spoiler Zaidi, and ask him for help. Now, if you're a fan of the podcast, my sweetest friends, you'll know that I told two stories about the Spoiler Zaidi. The first about how he got his name from the Heidegger Baal Shem Tov. And the second about the dancing Rebbe. So make sure you listen to those stories 182 and 183. So Mendel, the businessman that comes to the Spoiler Zaidi, he says to him, Rebbe, look at the court summons. I never stole any money from anyone. I certainly didn't steal from the Romanian government. And the Spoiler Zaidi said, Listen, Mendel, you have nothing to worry about. Just tell them that you have to delay the court case until Purim. And don't hire a lawyer. Just show up, and I'll make sure that an excellent lawyer comes to defend you. So Mendel says, Thank you, Rebbe. That's wonderful. How much is the lawyer going to cost me? And the Rebbe says, Well, there's an orphaned bride who's going to get married soon, and she has no money for her wedding. I want you to give me 300 rubles for the wedding, and I'll take care of the lawyer. So Mendel says, Rebbe, you want me to give tzedakah? 
and not pay a lawyer, and you're going to send me the lawyer? He says, exactly, Mendel. You're very good at this, Mendel. And on top of that, I want you to prepare a document to bring to the lawyer that shows that he's the one representing you. And when you get to court, you're going to recognize the lawyer because he's going to be wearing a white hat and red gloves. And you give him the power of attorney. You make sure that he speaks on your behalf. So Mendel felt that the Rebbe was very confident in what he said, and apparently he knows what he's talking about. So he gives the 300 rubles for the orphan bride. And he goes home. He starts contacting people, trying to get the court date moved. It wasn't easy, but eventually he moved it to Purim itself. The court date was scheduled for Purim afternoon at 3 o'clock. Now it takes a real chassid to show up to court without a lawyer, without preparing anything, and completely trust in the Rebbe. And Mendel, as much as he wanted to have complete faith in the Rebbe, it wasn't so easy. And he sent a letter to the Shpoler Zaidi, asking him to give him a blessing for success. And he also sent more money for Matanot Levionim, for gifts for the poor on Purim. Purim arrives, and in the court of the Shpoler Zaidi, everyone was very happy. The children showed up in costumes, people were going back and forth. Handing out Mishlochei Manot, Shlachmanes, the food gifts that we give one another on Purim. People were handing out Tzedakah, Matanot Lev Yonim. And in the afternoon, the Shpoler Zaidi gathered a group of his Hasidim at home, but it was only his closest Hasidim that he allowed to come in. And for everyone else, he locked the door and put two Hasidim at the front of the door to make sure that nobody came in. And everybody knows that Purim is a very special day. It said that all of the holidays, when Mashiach comes, will no longer be celebrated. Because with the light of Mashiach, we won't need those holidays to connect with Hashem. But the light of Purim is even higher than Mashiach. That's why the holiday of Purim is going to remain. So you can imagine, my sweetest friends, how much power there is on Purim. And of course, the Shvoler Zaidi knew this. One of the things that he liked to do on Purim was put on plays where everybody would laugh and make fun. But the truth is, they knew that the Rebbe was passing judgment on accusations that were being made in heaven against the Jewish people. And this year, like four more years, the Shpoler Zaidi said to his Hasidim, We are now going to have a court case. And the Hasidim were very excited. The Rebbe points to one of his Hasidim and he says, Ancho, you're going to be the chief justice. Then he points to two other Hasidim, saying, You will be the other two judges on the court. Then he says, Velvo, you are going to be the prosecutor from the Romanian government. Now go and color your face green. He went and put green makeup all over his face. And when he walked back in, he looked so ridiculous. Everybody just started laughing. <laughs> and the Schwaller's 80 said, and I'm going to be the lawyer of the Jewish defendant. And he took a white handkerchief and put it on top of his strimal and then put on red silk gloves. And then he turned to one of his other chassidim. He said, Moishi, you're going to be Mandel the Jew. And you, he turned to another one of his Hasidim and said, you are going to be the informer. And then he picked two witnesses that would defend the Jew. And he said, okay, court is in session. And the chief justice begins to read the accusations against Mendel the Jew. He says, this Jew is a very wealthy and successful businessman. But it turns out that he's successful because he stole money from the Romanian government. And then the chief justice turns to the guy with the green face prosecutor from the Romanian government and says, what evidence do you have? And he looked so ridiculous, everybody started laughing again. He said, I have an informer. And the informer is brought up and he says, Mendel here, he found a box with the royal treasure seal on it. He stole it and fled to Russia. 
That's why he's so wealthy. And then the witnesses were brought up and they accused the informer. They said, oh, he's just jealous. Mendel never stole any money. This guy once came to Mendel and asked to borrow a large sum of money. And since Mendel didn't want to lend it to him, he said he would take revenge. Then the chief justice says to the lawyer, okay, what do you have to say? And the Spoler's 80, he gets up. And he says, the informer says what he says, because he's jealous. He just wants to take revenge on my client. But it's not true. Even if Mendel did find a box like that, the Romanian government has no right to demand it from him. And he went on to explain the law, and what happens with lost money, and returning the lost money. When he finished, the three judges decreed unanimously with big smiles, we declare that Mendel the Jew is innocent of all charges. Innocent, innocent, innocent. And that was a great deal of fun, and everybody laughed. <laughs> the court case was over, and they had the suda for Purim, the meal for Purim, and everybody sat there and drank and laughed and shared divrei Torah, blessed one another, and went higher and higher in their Purim. And a few days later, Mendel shows up. And the Hasidim said, hey, Mendel, we had a fake court case for you. Mendel said, really? They said, yeah, we declared you innocent. He said, really? He said, yeah, Mendel, but what really happened? He said, well, I had an excellent lawyer. And the Hasidim said, really, what did your lawyer say? And word for word, everything that the Shpoler Zaidi said, the lawyer said. And the Hasidim were in shock. Everything that happened in the actual court was a reflection of what happened in the mock courthouse in the Shpoler Zaidi's room. So when Mendel entered the Rebbe's room, the Shpoler Zaidi says to him, No, I sent you a good lawyer, didn't I? Mendel says, Yeah. Everybody was amazed. They never heard such a good lawyer as him. And thanks to him, I was declared innocent, Rebbe. You sent me the best defense lawyer. The Rebbe said, Mendel, you should know that this defense lawyer was actually Eliyahu Navi, was actually Elijah the prophet, who was sent down from heaven to defend you in the merit of the tzedakah that you gave for the orphan bride who got married before your court case. Because you were willing to have faith in the Rebbe, and faith in Hashem, you merited to be saved with the most special lawyer anyone could ever ask for. And I promise you, Mendel, if you continue giving tzedakah and helping your fellow Jews, you will see that when the day comes that you reach the world to come, that same lawyer will stand in front of the heavenly court Defend you any accusations placed against you. So I have one more short story for you. Throughout the month of Adar, the great Rebbe, Shmuel Abba of Zichlin, was always extra specially happy. And I'm poor him. His simcha, his joy, was so great that it was like fireworks going off all the time. There were some people that didn't treat Purim as a serious holy day, to be seriously happy on a seriously holy day. And if people didn't come dressed in their Shabbos clothes in honor of the Megillah reading, Shmuel Abba told them they weren't okay. In one year, his base midrash, the shul was filled with all the people that had come to hear the Megillah and everybody being chassidim. Shmuel Abba, they knew to wear their best Shabbos clothes. Except there was one guy who showed up in his weekday clothes. Some of the Hasidim said to him, What are you doing? Don't you know that it's Purim? And the man answered, making a play on a common Yiddish folk expression, Purim is not a Yom Tov, and fever is not a sickness. Meaning that, you get a fever, it doesn't mean that you're seriously sick. And Purim, 
It's a minor holiday. It's not really a Yom Tov, so I don't have to wear my Shabbos clothes. At that moment, the tzaddik entered and looked at this chassid, who was wearing his weekday clothes, and he said to him, Purim is a Yom Tov, and fever is a sickness. And as soon as that chassid got home that night, he got a fever, and it got worse and worse as the days went on. The chassid realized this wasn't just any fever, and he sent a message through his family to ask the Rebbe for a bracha to heal. And Reb Shmuel Abba said, now he knows that a fever is really a sickness, and hopefully he will understand now that Purim is really a Yom Tov. This poor chassid suffered from a fever the entire year until the next Purim, when he showed up in his best Shabbos clothes. And at that point, his fever went away, and he understood that a fever is a sickness, and that Purim really is a Yom Tov. I bless you all, my sweetest friends, and bless me back that Hashem opens all the gates of heaven for us. One of the secrets for Purim is to daven for your fellow Jews. So wherever you go, make sure you bless people. They can bless you back. And if you do that, I promise you, you will have a high, high Purim. Remember, the mitzvah is not to get drunk on alcohol. It's to get drunk on Purim. You have to get to the point, Adeloyada, but you can't tell the difference between blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. That means that every time you see a Jew, you don't see anything bad in them. You only see the good in them. And when you see the good and you bless the good, Hashem will elevate you and your fellow Jews to a place higher than any place you could reach on any other Yom Tov. <laughs> happy to share that my other podcast, Jewish People and Ideas, I have a new episode with the president of the Hartman Institute here in Jerusalem, Daniel Hartman. It was one of the most interesting conversations I've had on the podcast yet. Two people who see things very differently, having a generous conversation. Here's a little snippet of our conversation. Daniel Hartman is the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute, a Jewish research and educational institute based in Jerusalem, Israel, that offers pluralistic Jewish thought and education to scholars, rabbis, educators, and Jewish community leaders in Israel and North America. He's the author of three books, The Boundaries of Judaism, Putting God Second, and the upcoming Who Are the Jews? Danielle and I sat down in the podcast studio at the Hardman Institute in Jerusalem to discuss the role of Israel and Jews in the diaspora. 
the Kotel Compromise, Democracy in the State of Israel, the Occupation, the Role of the Holocaust in Jewish Identity, and much more. Can Judaism be passed down from generation to generation without halacha? No. But what does halacha mean? See, these terms are terms that are... Wait, are you going to say halacha is being a mensch? No. Because you did mention derech at the beginning. Halacha means walking. That's what it means. Moving forward. Moving forward. Progressing. Progressing. Can Judaism be passed down without ideas about how you move forward? How you're obligated? No. But is halacha a fixed system? that's closed, that needs to be kept? No. Wait, there's a Shulchan Aruch. That's right. The Shulchan Aruch is halacha. It's just laid out for us. One, that's, two, that's three, That's his four. opinion of halacha. That's the general opinion of the Jewish religion, isn't it? The Jewish religion? The Jewish religion, yes. The Torah is given at Sinai with halachot. No, I see you. We have a different Judaism, you and I. Ah. And that's fair enough. Yeah. I believe the Shulchan Aruch represents one aspect of Judaism. I think Jews throughout in the Torah... Jews throughout the ages had a very marginal relationship with halacha. Um, if you look in the Gemara, for example, what is the average Jew called? What is Joe Shmo called or, or Moshe Beryl called in the, in the Gemara? Do you remember the term? He's, no, he's called Amaaretz. Amaaretz. The person of the land. And what is Amaaretz in the rabbis? An ignoramus. A person who doesn't know and a person who also doesn't keep. A rabbi can eat in their house. They don't keep a lot of halachot. Mm. It was a different time. Again, no, but I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. I'm not, I, I appreciate, I'm just trying to shape with you to, to share that. I know that there came to develop a theory which then gave birth to orthodoxy over a certain small period of time in Jewish history, where as if there was a standard, a fixed, a fixed table that everybody yeah. has to fit into. I don't find that, that that's not the Judaism that I know. That's a part of the Judaism that I know, but it doesn't define Judaism doesn't define the category of halacha, and it doesn't define what a Jew has to do. That a Jew could be orthodox, conservative, reform, and secular, and be equally authentic, meaningful, and good Jews. I I understand what you're saying. I mean, really, my question is, see, I grew up in the reform movement, and at 17, I met the Lubavitcher Rebbe, really. That was what changed my life. It shocked me. And that brought me to going to Chabad houses and eventually learning about halacha, and I felt like the reform movement with, and I have a lot of hakaratato for the reform movement. I mentioned the last podcast. I think they're really, really good, beautiful, passionate people. But you can't make Judaism work without obligating people to follow alachot, to follow mitzvot. I appreciate that you feel that way. And I know it might be a little frustrating. And I, I, for you, that is true. The only thing I would caution you yeah. is to ask whether that is truth for others. I don't have a problem with that. For you, that is true. My question is, how do I have great-grandchildren that are Jewish in a world where people love Jews, especially in America? They want to marry Jews. They're the most popular minority. Right. TV shows about Jews and movies about Jews. The moment I decided I'm not dating non-Jews anymore was the moment that I knew that I would have Jewish children, halachically have Jewish children. But if I wasn't obligated to that, I had no problem dating non-Jews. I would have happily married a non-Jew. And maybe one day I would have realized my children and my grandchildren are not considered Jewish. In the Reformed Temple, they'd be considered Jewish, but not in the Orthodox community, not according to Halakha. My question is, is there any way to pass down Judaism without that obligation? Again, without a sense of an obligation to an obligation? I believe not. That term confuses me, I have to tell you. I know, because it's not what you're used to. It's a paradox. It's not. 
it's that Judaism has to involve obligations without coming up with a list as to what those definitive obligations are. Then how do you know what to do? You don't. Even you don't. So then everybody's lost. Nobody no. Knows. I do know a lot of things that I'm supposed to do. No, you followed you what do you do? You you follow someone so what somebody told you to do. You're making your choices. Someone that I trust. Great. So someone else follows somebody someone that else. I believe had a higher spiritual connection. Great. Than and me. if someone doesn't believe that and well, someone doesn't I, tr- I don't have any problem with that. I know you don't. So what happens is is that we're wired very, very differently. And our way to God and our way to Judaism You're is saying gonna, you and I. Not even you and I. We as the Jewish Just people. Just in general. In general. You and I might have greater affinities. It doesn't really matter. When I look and, and, I engage, and I think about your Judaism, yeah. all I can think about, like I look at you, there's, there's a joy, a simcha, a sense of, of purpose, meaning, and excellence that, that emanates. I read bodies. That you're good em- at giving compliments. No, that emanates. You're like a good person. There's something really good about you. There's something like, again, you don't even, it's just, I feel it. I, I feel your aura. You're at home. All I want to do is respect that. I want to respect it. I want to appreciate it. I want to comment on it. But from there to say that's who I, Daniil, should be, or that's who another person should be, that's the move I don't make. Now you're right. Today, Jews are making choices which Jews in the past didn't make, principally because anti-Semitism didn't allow us to make them. Mm -hmm. As you said, we're the most, why is there intermarriage in the United States? Because we're beloved. Prior generations, non-Jews wouldn't marry Jews. Right. <laughs> like, like, what would you? Why would you want to marry? I joke about it, but it's like one of my lines. You know, why would you want to marry a Jew to check out a pogrom? Like, what would be your incentive? So right. that's right. So there's a new reality. It's not a reality that the reform movement created or that conservative movement created. It's a it's a reality that a decline of anti-Semitism and the North American phenomena created. Just like in Israel, there's another. It created it. So how do we respond? Now, within that context, 80, 90% are not going to pick orthodoxy. If that's not the path that they're going to choose to embrace for their Jewish life. And the question is, how do we, for them, engage in a Judaism that they will find compelling? Okay, now, will I understand. Tr- Before I invite you to listen to the rest of the conversation, for anybody who's still sticking around, it was thanks to Daniel that I actually started this podcast. And here's what I told him before our conversation began. I want to start off by saying, giving you a great compliment. We met in your office and I said to you, you know what, I think I want to work here. And you said to me, this was after like a half hour talk or something. You said to me, well, we only hire the best of the best here at the Hardman Institute. What do you do better than anyone else in the whole world? I said, I tell Hasidic stories. And you said to me, well, that's very nice, but we don't need that here. (laughs) And I left here. I called my wife and I said, you know what? I'm starting a podcast of Hasidic stories, (laughs) and I have tens of thousands of listeners now. Wow. I have people that, it shocks me, but it's literally changed their lives, and you get the merit of asking the right question. Oh, wow. You asked me the question that started that podcast. I'm telling you, it's growing so fast, I can't even believe it. Wow. And then the second thing was this podcast here. I said, you know what? I enjoyed the conversation so much. I'm just going to go around and interview everybody who's really big in the Jewish world. And it became just fun for me. I'm not into sports. <laughs> Beautiful. And I, I don't know what else, but See, this is my fun. It's beautiful. There's new mediums in which you could teach and reach masses of people. Really is remarkable. To hear the rest of the conversation, please go to my website, jewishpeopleideas.com. 
or search for my podcast by my name, Barak Holman, H-U-L-L-M-A-N, or look for Jewish People and Ideas wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have the sweetest poor and my sweetest friends. And until then, good morning!